You know, guys, I was on the network watching uh, Nick's like wheelhouse childhood favorite WrestleMania eight from Indianapolis. And I think like legacy wise, WWE missed the boat on not doing that Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair match back then. I mean, everyone loves the Hogan rock icon versus icon thing, but that should have been you are generation's icon icon match. You know who I blame, honestly? I blame Terry Bollea, Hulk Hogan, and his massive ego for that. Because Savage Flair wasn't even the main event of WrestleMania 8. We had to see Hogan go out there and stink up the joint against Psycho Sid and set up an angle for that SummerSlam. And Brian, it just goes to show you the power that Hogan had, even though he's past his prime at that point. WrestleMania 9, he puts himself over in the main event after Yokozuna <laughs> goes over Bret Hart. So not only did they screw up WrestleMania 8 because Hogan's ego is the size of the Sears Tower, but WrestleMania 9 goes into the trash as well and we had to deal with that jabron's warrior bailing him out at eight look the, what makes me mad mania wwe could have fixed it the first time they didn't they had a chance to reboot it wrestlemania 20 in new york you know that wrestlemania we're not supposed to talk about because of benoit of the main event, that yeah. could have been old guy hogan versus old guy flair they could have fixed the problem a second time do you know what I remember from WrestleMania 8, honestly, when the Ultimate Warrior ran out? Do you remember? Because I was, what, maybe like 9, 10 years old when that happened. People were saying that wasn't the real Ultimate Warrior because he had the short hair and he wasn't as big as he had been. And then there was the, are there two Ultimate Warriors here? So WrestleMania 8 really should have been like a five-star event, and they really, really screwed it up. Oh, man. But by the way, that conspiracy theory is true. It was his twin brother that, <laughs> that pulled off the second half of his career. out from Extreme Rules. We're ready to talk some WWE in this corner with Brian Campbell. Now me, I'm Nick Costos, and as always, I'm handsome, I'm smart, I'm cool, I'm tan. Not as tan as I usually am, but still a nice shade of maple syrupy brown coming off the long Memorial Day weekend. I'm well rested. I hang out with athletes and celebrities. My life is absolutely awesome. But enough about me. I am joined, as always, by my tag team partners. The first, you know him as the biggest control freak this side of the Mississippi. He's a pain in the ass, but damn it, he is our pain in the ass. He is the great Adam Silverstein, known affectionately to you and yours as the Silver King. Silver King, how are we doing today? Hey, now. And I am also joined by the man whose name is on the marquee. Let's go. He's the icon. Don't stop. He's the showstopper. Come on. He's the main event. Bring it. He is the bod that runs the pod. Stay hyped. He's the mass that guides the cast. One more time. He's superb. He's great. He's cool. My dear listener, you know he rules. Oh, yeah. He is the Brian Campbell. BC, tell him what's on the pod today. Do me a favor and get some of this. We got another loaded episode this week with the mission. You know, it It remains the same to break down your defenses with another lethal dose of that performance enhancing audio. It's as simple as a cheap chick lyric. We want you to want me like a young Matt Saracen. We're coming for that QB one slot in your podcast rotation. So get with my friends because we can be friends. Hey, we can do this every week. Your role in this consummated relationship is simple. Get out there and show us that you're listening. It only takes a few seconds. Subscribe, rate, review, spread the word on social media. Check out our UFC 212 podcast earlier in the week. But like I mentioned, this WWE Weekend Review pod is jam-packed. We got your DM questions. We got a preview of Sunday's Extreme Rules pay-per-view. But without any further ado, let me put the keys back in the trusted, maple glazed hands 
predatory hands, if you will, of the most passionate man in North America, Nick Costos. Let's do this. And BC, you know indeed, it's all good, baby, baby. And we begin the performance-enhancing audio, as always, with the main event. Gentlemen, we begin with the SmackDown Women's Money in the Bank match added coming up to this Sunday's pay-per-view. Just a fantastic, superb angle that they ran on Tuesday night. We've got Charlotte Flair. We've got Becky Lynch, Tamina Snuka, Carmella, and Natalia. BC, first word goes to you here on both the SmackDown angle and the upcoming match. Yes, yes, yes to this one. Look, smart move by the company. The timing was right for all the reasons I said last week. And the most important reason being, if you want to push that women's division and make people care about it on the same level as the men, I know that's their goal. And that really, let's be honest, that should be their goal. You need to have institutionalized matches like this that are on that calendar blocked in. It makes the women feel up to that level. But the real reason why I pop for this is the way they sold it, guys. They sold it with true physicality to the point where if you watch Talking Smack after SmackDown, it actually kind of watered down how great this women's presentation was on SmackDown. There was too much talking going on on Talking Smack. You didn't need words for this. Their fatal five-way or six-way or whatever it was didn't even get started this Tuesday night on SmackDown because it was a physical brawl, and you needed to sell that, guys, to make the hardened, cynical male fans who are like, I don't want women's wrestling on my screen. I don't want a bootleg version of a ladder match. Even those fans had a pop for the true physicality of how they announced this. Guys, I'm going to give away my feel spot right now. There's no need to wait for it. And I'll maybe mention Hey, that's not new. I've, see, I've seen your dating life. You've been giving that thing away oh, for years. Oh, baby, the feel spot, it, it's always out there. It is juicy, BC, as our friend Christopher Wallace would say. But this was the best thing that they did all week. This was the best thing on either Raw or SmackDown. It hit me right in the feel spot. This was awesome. They, they tease you into thinking they're having this number one contenders match. It turns into the major brawl and just spot after spot after spot. And you felt the crowd, BC, getting reined into it. This is awesome, Chad, culminating in that violent crescendo. Charlotte powerbombing Natalia through the table as the place absolutely erupts. Here comes the money hit. Shane McMahon comes out, announces the money in the bank. The crowd pops for it. I got to be honest. I absolutely love this. It showed you the wide gulf. And we'll get into the Raw women's division coming up a little later and the atrocity that we saw this past Monday night. The SmackDown women's division better than Raw's. Why? Because Charlotte Flair is there. She is the star of the entire deal here. I want to see her go over. I absolutely love this. Can't wait for the match. Silver King, did this hit you in the old field spot as well? Man, hit me hard. And I'll tell you this. You know a segment is built well when Tamina Snuka <laughs> is awesome. Like, Tamina Snuka <laughs> was dominating that segment. She's tearing that table apart. I'm like, where's this aggression coming from? Awesome. From Tamina Snuka. It's Lo ruthless aggression, Adam. Let's it, be honest. It is. It's ruthless aggression. It was fantastic. <laughs> that was actually a decent Vince McMahon impersonation. Bad. Not bad. It wasn't bad. Thank you. Um, but Tamina was great. I liked Shane coming in the ring. Nick, you mentioned this last week, stumbled over his words a little bit. Actually, it may have been Brian. I forgot which one of you said it. But, yeah, you know, Shane kind of needs to work on that a little bit more. But I'll tell you this. After he announced the match, the crowd popped. I popped. I sent Brian Campbell a message. You're probably tucking your kids into bed. I'm not sure what you were doing. Didn't get a response right away. Maybe that's just how I'm, I'm looked at in your eyes right now. Correct, but, correct. You are the black sheep. Yeah, that maybe I am. Maybe I am. But, but I sent him. But I was so hyped for it that I had to do that. And... After that match is announced, looking at Charlotte's expression, she gave a devilish grin. She did. That is perfect Charlotte Flair. She, like, it was already sold. She put it over the top. Loved it. This isn't Hero or Zero. Superhero segment from me. Yeah, and the timing, guys, is what I mentioned up front is important. And think about the timing of this. 
They ruined the SmackDown women's division with this welcoming committee angle. We've been crapping on it for weeks. You want us back with this, and sometimes that's all it takes, right? To you, You're going down the wrong road. Hit the brakes. Acknowledge what you're doing. Put us back in the right direction. This is what that was. BC, I'll tell you what else I loved about this angle and what we saw on SmackDown. How about the show beginning with the pre-tape backstage vignettes with all five competitors oh, here? I loved it. I mean, you want to talk about feel spot, buddy. That had me feeling like I was watching like Saturday Night's Made Event yep. in 1990 or something. That was pretty cool. And the whole time I'm like, give Tamina her moment. She better be a part of this. She better be a part of this. And it was. And it's like... You know, she's not on that level. We know that. She's got the she's got her father's crazy eyes, but they still made it feel important by giving everyone their equal time. You know, winner all the way around. I couldn't drool over this more. Let's move it along. Let's go to the second portion of our triple threat main event from Monday Night Raw. A little bit of a whodunit angle right now for the second week in a row. BC, I love the way you wrote this on our rundown. Who shot Enzo Amore. So I'm going to give you a quick recap here of what we saw before we get into it. So for the second week in a row, Enzo Amore attacked for the second week in a row. And uh, Big Cass is there with Kurt Angle. They're talking about what happened backstage. But BC, the introduction of Corey Graves into the angle this week, I thought was noteworthy. I actually really liked it. And I thought it was the best part in addition to the main event of what I thought was a pretty lackluster Monday Night Raw. Your overall impressions of this continuing angle right now with Enzo Amore. Cass? and now Kurt Angle and Corey Graves. Look, this was the cure for the common show. You said it yourself. It was a a ho-hum in the end Raw that had some good matches, but not a lot of presentation or pushing of storyline. Like we teased last week, we'll get into more of it again this week. But this was the cure for that common show because it was attention to detail on a storyline for, for the second straight week. They didn't reveal. It was a real cliffhanger that kept you interested. This was not wrestling anymore. This was drama. This was a TV show. And that's what you're supposed to do in Raw and SmackDown when it's really working great. You offset what's going on in the ring with some real detailed backstage stuff. Look, I loved including Corey Graves using that untapped talent. But even more than that, I love that there's a lot of suspects now in play. That that's the most important thing because sometimes they'll press the button too early. They come up with a good idea, and this is a good idea, but they'll hit it too early. What we didn't see this Monday, we didn't see this culminate in some match between Scott Dawson of the Revival against uh, Big Cass for the honor of Enzo. No, they left you hanging on that cliff. As things stand right now, we don't know if it's Dawson from the Revival, if it's angry Big Cass turning on his long-lost brother, or if it's even Kurt Angle who had some cryptic moments in there. When you leave it open like that, where there's plenty of suspects who it could be, you keep our interest, you make us care. I mean, I, I popped big for that women's thing off the top. I was just as, as high on this one. Great moment on Raw. I loved the introduction of Corey Graves into this. And Silver King, I know that you had a strong take on this as well, but Graves is so talented, right? And obviously his entering career cut short by, by the concussions here. But he's capable of giving you so much more than than just being on the announce team. And I thought he's playing like this smarmy sort of half-heel, half-face role very, very well. Now, one thing I did think they gave away, remember last week, Corey Graves said that he liked to shake the hand of the man that attacked Enzo Amore. Now, it is noteworthy that when Cass came out to confront Corey Graves at the announce table and Graves stammering over his words, trying to get Big Cass off his back, remember at the end of it, Cass extends his hand and shook Corey Graves' hand. I think that might be a little bit of a giveaway. I still think that it was Cass ultimately, and I think they're going to put Cass, put the uh, the rocket on his back and launch him to the moon here, give him a major push. We know Vince McMahon loves him. I think that's where they're going to go with it. But look, you nailed it, BC. 
We don't know who it was. I think it was Cass. Maybe it wasn't. I don't think it was the Revival. I think that's too obvious. Maybe it was Kurt Angle. So they did really do a nice job with the Silver King here, leaving us wanting more heading into next week. Are we sure that the first segment, when Graves got the text and went back to Angle, was also about this? Because it might have been. Because my hope is that it wasn't. And I'm hoping that Corey Graves is actually involved in two separate angles, one with the Enzo Amore attack and, and what he said about Cass and getting Cass angry and the handshake, which I missed, and that was a great point. But I'm hoping this Kurt Angle thing is a completely separate thing and maybe a way, not, not that I want Stephanie McMahon back on the show, but maybe a roundabout way of, oh, that, she's coming back. of that happening. For me, my concern is this. And anytime WWE does a whodunit angle or a storyline like this, we have to hope they actually wrap it up because we don't want this to be the anonymous Raw GM or Hideo Itami's attacker in the parking lot on NXT. Who drove the Hummer? We, who drove the Hummer? We want an actual resolution here. And if they're going to take us on this ride going into a pay-per-view, then they're setting up for, okay, Extreme Rules is going to go by, and we have a storyline that we're going to continue this on This is your take that, you, that you're worried about they're not going to wrap it up? Of course they're going to no. wrap it up. Of course. I just gave you two examples, they're and not, you gave They're a third. not going to screw this up. Come look, on. Look, they've been known to do this before. I like it so much that I'm actually concerned about it. And plus, you took my other point, so what else am I going to say? I mean, that's, well, look, that's, that's awful. BC, go ahead. You know, the uh, obviously, it, it breaks down to me like this in terms of the suspects, right? Like, it's too obvious to probably be the revival. They, they made it seem too obvious for you. It probably should be big cast that's an angle that everybody would jump for but like I mentioned I think the Kurt Angle situation is very interesting it could be a separate situation like you said Adam but if it's not there was some real unexplained cryptic uh, surroundings around that text message where where Engel was looking at Graves' phone and he mentioned that, you know, essentially this could be the end of me. This could be the end of me being known as the Olympic hero. There's some kind of deeper connection here that they're not telling us. And if it does lead to Engel coming back in yes. a match, whether it's yes. at SummerSlam against Triple H or, or a slower burn toward next year's WrestleMania – and they're actually going that deep to connect other lines, then I'm going to be even more excited than, than it could be. If it's just cast, I'm still going to pop. But if you get Angle involved, man, this is really interesting. Well, that's the part I love. It's the Kurt Angle and the first text message and that whole kind of you know scenario that we just didn't know what was happening. The Corey Graves stuff with um, you know Big Cass and Enzo, like it interests me because it furthers that angle, and they're not giving us the reveal yet. That's great. But it's that first segment with Graves that really got my ears perked up. And this is why it's a major success, because all three of us just marked out for about five minutes talking about it, and we're all excited to see where it leads next. So, Brian, like you say every week, we kill creative when need be, but we are also going to praise them when they deserve to be praised. And right now, they deserve a ton of praise for the who shot Enzo Amore angle on Monday Night Raw. And guys, we wrap up the triple threat main event with what we saw in the main events of both shows, Raw and SmackDown this week. We had a terrific match on Monday Night Raw, Roman Reigns going over Seth Rollins, and then a terrific match main eventing SmackDown with Dolph Ziggler. How about that? Getting the clean win over AJ Styles in AJ Styles' home state of Georgia. Now, BC, I know that you've got a larger take on this in addition to both matches being good here, so lay it out here for our audience. All right, look, you know, I mean, I'm watching my timeline when, when I'm watching Raw and SmackDown. And look, straight up, was Reigns-Rollins an, an incredible pay-per-view feel main event on Raw? Absolutely. Was Styles-Ziggler a surprise matchup that when you saw it was going to happen, you kind of popped for, and then it's still delivered with a surprise ending? Absolutely. Everyone on my timeline, for the most part, is eating that up, saying, what a great match. I don't want to be that, that angry stickler who's saying, yeah, but. But I did set up a point last week. 
can Raw continue to get away with just putting out matchups that really don't advance the overall storyline, but are just giving you stars in good matches overall? Should that be enough to sustain us as an audience? And I think it comes down to this. What do you expect out of Raw and SmackDown compared to a pay-per-view? And me, it's probably where I come from as a fan and my preferences that, I, to be honest with you, I don't really want to see a, a ton of wrestling on Raw and SmackDown, even if it's great wrestling. I want to see matches that matter on Raw and SmackDown that have a have an actual stipulation that makes sense or maybe the introduction to a feud, you have them wrestle once for the first time, that's fine. But for as good as both of these matches were, I come from an era, you know, of really popping in that Monday Night War stretch where I was a giant WCW fan. And the reason why I would turn away from Raw and it's give ridiculous. my business to Nitro was that they brought out their stars and had a creative 10, 15 minute storyline dialogue based segment that really pulled me in dramatically. Not too different from what we're talking about. What we loved about this Enzo Amore angle, right? It's a dramatic presentation. I want wrestling in the ring to ultimately always matter and always mean something. So I want it reserved where you're going to roll out your four-and-a-half-star matches on pay-per-views when it matters that you build towards. So am I getting almost upset of too too much of a good thing? Do I have too much steak in, in, in cake on my plate right now? I kind of felt like it this week because I kind of felt like there wasn't enough connection to the storyline in each of these angles where I felt I could justify taking in all these calories. Does that make any sense? Well, first off, no such thing as too much steak or too much cake. So you can never have too much red meat and too much pastry, in my personal opinion here. But I agree and disagree. And, Brian, I think that goes to show you just how good you are at this year, that you make so many good points here that i got to agree with some and disagree with a couple others. I like the wrestling when they have in the main event here, if it's like a, a big match featuring two big guys like we saw here at Raw and SmackDown, as long as it advances the storyline. And I think Raw really spit the bit. We've spent, we don't have to rehash it here, but when Braun Strowman got hurt, it really made them reshuffle the deck here. And, and they put their cards on the table too soon by booking the Fatal 5-Way. And everything that we've seen on Raw up to this point from those five guys has just basically been, in my opinion, creative saying, can we please just get to the pay-per-view? Like, we've got to get to the pay-per-view here. So go and fill 20 minutes here because they have nothing to do with these guys in the storyline right now. Now, the one thing that I did like in the Reigns-Rollins match, of course it was a really good match. Reigns going over, I feel, is important, right? Because Reigns is not going to win the Fatal 5-Way. They're going to save Reigns and Lesnar for WrestleMania. So now you've given Reigns, your top guy, clean wins here in the past couple weeks over both Finn Balor and Seth Rollins. So Reigns is going to keep his heat when he does not win the match coming up on Sunday at Extreme Rules. I like the SmackDown main event because Ziggler went over, and that was a surprise. So you put some more heat on Dolph Ziggler, and the loss obviously does not hurt AJ Styles. So I did think there was some storyline benefit here. So as long as matches are advancing the story, that's what I'm looking for. And one thing that I'll say... You could be listening to this podcast right now, and you're a big wrestling fan, right? And you're that type of wrestling fan that likes, let's say, the Japanese style, right? Where guys go out there for a half an hour, and it's not as much storyline, and guys just tear the house down. I think the American wrestling fan, for the most part, me, definitely, I like more storyline-driven stuff. I'm with you, Brian. I love well, the it's angles. Like, it's I like love as a music fan. Can you listen to the rhythm and the melody of a music and not care what the lyrics are telling you? I'm someone who's more of a stickler. I need to connect with the song, right? It's not. It's no different here. But I get, yeah. and Silver King, I want to hear your take on this. I get why we saw Reigns and Rollins in the main event, right? It's a ratings grab. Guys, they gave you a pay-per-view main event yeah, but who cares? with a storyline that, or with, with, with uh, headliners that just last week you guys said there was a lot of money left 
in Rollins Reigns. They gave it to you in the main event of Raw and gave you a clean finish. On SmackDown, they did advance the storyline by giving a guy who doesn't get clean victories ever a win over the number one guy on the brand in AJ Styles. I have zero issue with either of them. I like big wrestling matches. And Brian, you know what else was on those WCW shows? They would bring out Michael Buffer in the main event, and they would put the WCW title, World Heavyweight title, on the line in a match that would have otherwise been on a pay-per-view. And the match would go off the air but without the a winner. the match mattered, though, but, once. The match listen, mattered, at, right? At some, point, These BC, matter too. at some point, BC, you and I are going to go head-to-head here on why you are so utterly dead wrong, and it actually boils my blood to hear someone as smart as you talk about how you liked... WCW was never, ever better than WWF. Correct. No Bingo. At, at no point. Maybe for like one or two months in 1996, it was better. And then it was never better ever Such again. Such an incorrect statement. I, I get it's it's the era that you grew up in in the early 90s where the, the cartoon was your backbone, so you'd lean more to that. But when you grew up- You're only a couple years older than me, buddy. 1980s Crockett WCW, you could realize then- this is real. This might actually be real. This isn't wrestling. This isn't characters and jobbers and, and plumbers. Oh. These are guys, you know, breaking each other's knees. It's another topic for another day. But I think the greater point is this. Adam, you said I complained I want Reigns Rollins. There's a lot of money on the table. Yes, but I don't want – I don't mean to sound like, you know, some prude teenage girl here, but I don't want it in a in a main, main event that has no meaning. I don't want a one-night stand. I want a full program. I want to be taken out to dinner and seduced first. I, so I think that comes back to my debate of you give me cake every night, but eventually my sweet tooth's going to pop, right? I just don't see how it has no meaning. When Nick told you exactly why it had meaning, because Reigns needed that clean victory over a star because he's not going to win on Sunday. I just, I'm more for let's save that for when you do that program. And also, let's not make like the, the match out. Like, it was not Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. No, but it was very 25. good. It was not a pay per view main event. It was a good match. It was a and good while Monday night I'm in angry event. stickler mode, I got to hear your opinion on this. The way Styles Ziggler ended, it kind of ended abruptly, right? It was a Styles got crotched on the ropes and then he caught a super kick when he wasn't looking and then it was a pin. It was like, oh, wow, he pinned him. Now, in the long run, I would rather have finishes like that because it felt real. Styles was hurt on another part of his body. He wasn't looking. His chin got turned from a super kick. He should be pinned. But you can't have a finish like that in today's WWE where just the night before or just every Monday night, Seth Rollins is delivering five to seven finishing moves per match in which his opponents are kicking out of. So I hate, again, being that old guy in the corner saying, get off my yard. But as much as I love the ending of AJ, you can't have that ending if you're going to protect AJ, and you're going to let other matches be carnivals. Well, I, I, don't, I don't like your usage of the word protect there. AJ doesn't need protecting. Losing to Dolph Ziggler clean does not hurt AJ Styles one iota. And and I think that they did it purposefully like that because you had the question of whether or not AJ's foot was on the rope or underneath the ring apron at any point or underneath the ropes, and, and maybe it wasn't a clean pinfall. So they did that very purposefully. There's no way that happened accidentally, that it happened on the ropes, the super kick next to the ropes, AJ's foot hovering around the rope. That that was done to make it you seem like, wow, did that really happen? And that's why I really liked it here. And I almost look at these two shows as different entities at this point, right? You're 100% right, right? And, and you did kind of give us the Randy Orton rant just now there, Bri, like the diving thing. You did kind of hit us with that, with the Seth Rollins <laughs> 15 finishers per match. So <laughs> maybe it's you and Randy, and you should start ending your tweets and your rants with a little bit of a pause or a couple ellipses followed by dive. Because that's basically what you just did, buddy. You, 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 you grandpa'd us. Yeah, I mean, for me in general, first of all, I do think that I, I think Styles was pretty cleanly away from the ropes there. Like, I think Dolph kind of did wrap him up, but 
I do agree with Brian's point on some of these, and you're going you're gonna to crap on it, but on some of these second, third level finishers ending matches, we saw it with Sasha Banks when she gave the double knees to Alicia Fox. Irrelevant. Though. I think last week. Yeah. And then we saw it with, even though the super kick's the finisher, it didn't come like in the natural flow of the match. It came after he pulled them down from the ropes. I like when matches finish that way. And for me, it, it allows you to expect the unexpected. And SmackDown now, two weeks in a row, has allowed us to expect the unexpected because they gave us the Breezango double roll-up pins, the Sami Zayn roll-up. Yeah, three roll-ups in one episode. We already talked about that. Um, and it gave us the surprise tag team match. It gave us a surprise women's money in the bank match. And it gave us a surprise Dolph Ziggler victory. So you can we can talk about putting Jinder Mahal over as champion, but it's these little surprises that really make the show good. And symptomatic uh, here of the larger issue, BC, SmackDown's the better show. It is. This, yeah. It's just this week felt like a ratings grab. I need something at stake. End of end of discussion. I, I gave you my point. All right, we're going to move it out of the main event now to Hero or Zero. And as we say at the beginning of every program since the history that we've been doing this show, our guy Adam Silverstein, the Silver King, he's a control freak. He demands control. So we will cede control of Hero or Zero to our guy Silver King. What do you got up first here, Adam? Guys, we are the executive branch here of the Alexa Bliss fan club at ITC. Yes. And we have spoken week after week on how every segment, WWE or the Raw, let's say, puts Alexa Bliss in. She figures out a way to make it good even when it's bad. This week, though, they might have finally got her. Brian, what did you think of This Is Your Life, Bailey Edition, Hero or Zero? Look, it's a ma- it's obviously so straight up. We're not going to pull punches or be cute. It's a massive, massive zero. So bad, guys, that it almost took the New Day's old day segment from, I believe it was last September yeah, on Raw, worse. off the hook as being the outright unquestionable worst segment I have ever seen in sort of this new modern era last three, four years when I've really, really, really been addicted to the product on a second by second level. You can't get past that. So I think you have to ask yourself not, hey, is this the worst ever? There's a much deeper question that needs to be aligned here because it's a zero with a bullet. Nobody can can question that. But why was it a zero? And it comes down to two things in a possible answer and a conspiracy answer. The possible one is hey, they wanted to see how good Alexa was. So they put her in the very <laughs> deep end of the pool with with no you know, no, no uh, life preserver and just said, make this work. Because I think the second you saw these actors in the ring and the second they opened their mouth, you knew it, this had train wreck potential. But number two on the conspiracy side is this. What if I've been saying for now four weeks, Bliss has lapped Charlotte as the best performing one in the field and it's SmackDown creators' fault that they've wasted time on the welcoming committee and you've buried your number one with a bullet, Charlotte. No one is close to her with total package, physically, all of that. Was this WWE's way to trap Bliss to allow Charlotte to jump back up there in everybody's eyes and let you go, hey, back down Alexa Bliss fan club. She's good, but she's only going to be as good as we allow her to be. That's my real question. I think that's maybe the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And I love you, Brian. I think that you have a, 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 probably a better mind for all this stuff than I do. But that that is pretty – like, why would they do that? Like, purposefully like, screw up their own product and purpose, purposely screw up their women's champion. I'll tell hey, you Brett where – Brett screwed Brett, Nick. You know that, Well, okay? well Brett screwed Brett. They didn't screw Brett. Brett screwed Brett. And I actually kind of agree with that. But where did they fail with this creative screwed it up? Because they put Alexa Bliss in a position to fail. And look, Silver King said it. We love Alexa Bliss. I love Alexa Bliss. Every week we talk about how much we love Alexa Bliss. With that said, Alexa Bliss, do you know who she's not? She's not Dwayne Johnson. She's not Mick Foley. She's not Stone Cold Steve Austin 
or Vincent Kennedy McMahon, or the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels. Or Terry Runnels, or let's t- be honest. Or, or Terry Runnels, the great Marlena. <laughs> Marlena. She is not capable yet at this point of going out there and executing a segment of this magnitude. And to be fair, there are only a certain number of performers that can actually do that. They set her up to fail. And I think this exposed Alexa Bliss a little bit for me. And I still am a huge fan of hers. I don't think her in-ring work is up to par with Charlotte. I think we can all agree on that. She also showed you she's only got one club in her bag as far as it concerns her promo work. She can only give you the one note like that, that sarcastic sort of dismissive deal that she does, her facial expressions and everything. She's one note right now. That one note happens to be really good, but they blew it here because she was out there doing one note for 15 minutes. You know what that should have been? It should have been her talking to the three actors that they had. I actually thought it was kind of funny with the guy making out with the girl at the end of it. At that point, the crowd was pretty much bored to tears already. They blew this year, they put our girl Alexa Bliss in a position to fail, and also they have completely spit the bit with how they've built up Bailey. No one cares about Bailey. You showed that when she came out, and they didn't even let Bailey make the save. She got hit with the kendo stick by Alexa Bliss here. They really could not have screwed up the build to this match anymore. This was, you took the rating for this segment here and times it by a million, and you know what it is? It's a big fat giant zero. It was pathetic. Brian Campbell put that ball on a tee. And, Nick, that's a grand slam right there, guys. Let's move on to our second Hero or Zero this week. Sasha Banks is getting paired with Rich Swan. They are together a little bit on 205 Live. They made it pretty clear they're not a couple. Uh, but they threw them together, a little main roster uh, you know, mix-up here. And they're going to be on the Extreme Rules pay-per-view in a mixed tag match. So, Nick... Give me Hero Zero on this pairing and the crossover onto 205 Guys, Live. Guys, I'm going to take you inside WWE's creative room. Are you ready for this? Okay. I'm going to play the roles of both people involved in the room here. Guy number one. Huh. We've got our five biggest stars in the main event of the pay-per-view coming up. We need to fill some time. What do you think we should do? I know what we'll do. Let's have a crossover with 205 Live. Take two divas that aren't doing anything. Put them, put the women with these two cruiserweights, and we're going to have a mixed tag team match that's going to have no heat and no one's going to care about it. Yes, that's a great idea. Let's do it. It's incredibly stupid. They're wasting wasting Sasha Banks here, who's so much more talented than this. The whole dancing thing. I thought it was pretty stupid. I don't really care about it. It's a massive, massive zero for yours truly. Uh, it should have been a zero. So Nick should have been right. This should have been a rant from me about how they're taking somebody who was in the title picture on an almost, is Sasha the second greatest female wrestler of all time after Charlotte? I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous, but they were putting forth every other week such incredible matches to end last year that we were in that category. This should be a zero. But it's a hero, guys, and it's a big hero because of chemistry. I don't necessarily want Sasha Banks and Rich Swan to be together. They don't seem to match up. Yet when they were in the ring doing that dance moves afterwards, I popped. I popped in an almost feel-spot manner. They penetrated my defenses. I suddenly said, you know what? This works perfectly. I want to see more of this. And the crossover on 205 Live was actually brilliant because, look— it, it is what it is. Sasha is currently not in the main event picture. So why not use her to spice up another brand in the same way I've been calling for years now to have more top stars go down to NXT once in a while just to check out the space, just to raise the rent and add, add a little bit of a spice and flair. It worked this time around, and they put a little bit of an exclamation point on the 205 Live match when Sasha ripped some hair extensions out of Alicia Fox's hair outside the ring, and it actually looked like a real cat fight for a second. Hero. Believe it. 
Guys, the New Day returned on SmackDown. We saw them on Talking Smack last week. They actually made their appearance on the main show, and they got an instant tag team championship shot against the Usos, who I thought were strong once again on the mic this week. Guys, let's start with Brian here. Hero or Zero on the way the New Day returned to SmackDown? It was okay. It's just, it's a light hero because, look, they need to be back. The brand needs them. They are cr- transcendent superstars, right? There's a big gap when you know someone's coming to, to, to SmackDown after the shakeup, and then six weeks later, they're finally here. It makes a ton of sense to push them in against the Usos. They feud worked in the past. It's going to work even better now that the Usos are doing the best work of their career, have the best look. Overall, though, and maybe I'm just, I don't know if I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, if I'm the old guy in the corner this week, I will overall give it a zero because of this. The New Day was fresh last week on Talking Smack when there were no rules and they were just riffing and it felt real. This week, they're kind of still playing their greatest hits. And that's the problem overall. And maybe that's on purpose because maybe this is a setup for the next few weeks when we finally see a massive change to the New Day and their gimmick and their presentation. Maybe, you know, the push to get Biggie out solo. I don't know. But as things stand right now, I love the serial gimmick, but pushing it forward to the New Day flavor pops or whatever felt like it jumped the shark. Seeing them come out and just, you know, gyrate with their tongues out and just give the same tired lines over and over again. This worked because it was so raw and fresh and real. It's no longer raw and fresh and real. They're Cinderella playing at a uh, state fair right now, playing, don't know what you got till it's gone on a loop. Maybe that's really harsh, but I need a lot more from the New Day. So overall, this kind of felt like a zero to me. You know, I'm going to go with your initial take here. It's a slight hero for me because they worked the New Day back into it. I'm going to disagree with you on one thing, and this is a fundamental disagreement, BC, of you and I as human beings. When I still lived in New York, one of the last months that I lived there, I saw the Foo Fighters at MetLife Stadium, the old giant stadium, right? And you know when I popped when they played the songs that I know the words to. those That's what I want to hear. I want to hear the greatest hits. I don't care about their new stuff. I haven't listened to it. I don't know it. I don't care if it's good or not. I want to hear the greatest hits. And when you're the new day and when you've got 15 tracks of greatest hits, you're not serving your audience unless you're coming out and you're playing the greatest hits. Like the new day has run its course, right? Like, where do they go from here? There's nowhere else for them to go from here. Like, they had the longest reigning tag team championship run in the history of the company here. Like, they're in the tag team division now because that's what the storyline needs them to be until they break up, until they go their separate ways. BC, like, what do you expect them to do here? They're going to come out and reinvent the wheel? Like, they're going to come out with an entirely new gimmick? This is what got them over. It's what made them the host of WrestleMania this year. It's what made them so popular. I'm stunned to hear that. Like, oh, what are you expecting here? Like a Shakespearean well, type of deal here from uh, from Kofi Kingston, Xavier Woods, and Big E? You know, at Foo Fighters or even at Chris Jericho at 46, they should be playing the hits. This is still too close to their launch, right? You need a plan, a phase two. There needs to be some direction kind of new. They're called the new day. It's starting to feel a little bit old. That's all I'll leave it at. Well, well, last point here. Do you think here, Brian, and I don't know this, obviously. This is just me spitballing here, that the new day will lose to the Usos, and that will be the impetus for their eventual split. So maybe Yeah, that, maybe- w- that was sort of my disclaimer. I mean, Silver, can you in on this? My disclaimer was if this is on purpose to set you up to feel a little stale, then it will really make that, dis- dis- you know, when they dissolve, feel much better. Silver King, break the tie here. What do you think New Day's return? You know, I like the return. I love the instant match because they are the longest reigning tag team champions. They deserve it. I don't think they're breaking them up anytime soon. The one thing SmackDown Live has that Raw doesn't is they have a lot of mid-card talent. And if you're going to break up the New Day, Kofi's in the mid-card. Xavier Woods is in the mid-card. 
They're not going to continue being a tag team together. And Big E, you don't need him in the main event right now. So for me, I'm, I'm with Nick. You know what I want to hear ever long? You know what I don't want to hear? The song the Foo Fighters just came out with last year. Adam, next up on Hero or Zero, this one also revolves around the SmackDown Tag Team Division. It does. Guys, we have been really excited about Brizongo, the Fashion Files, the Fashion Police, everything. This week, maybe a little bit of a step back, was the Fashion final, Finals finally exposed with this Fandango old-school cop riff type of segment vignette Nick, hero or zero? Major hero for me. Um, I love the film noir deal that they did there. Like that old style, like you mentioned, the cop deal, the film noir stuff that you see in the 30s and 40s, like usually in L.A. I really liked it. I thought Fandango was very funny. I thought Tyler Breeze was very funny. I think this is the one thing, though, and you got to get used to it because it is what it is. Breezango are a comedy tag team. They're never going to be taken seriously. I think that they both hit their ceilings in WWE, and you know what? It's not a bad way to make a living. I laughed during the Fashion file segment this week. I liked it. It's a major hero for me, Mr. Brian Campbell. I, I'm going to be angry again, not as passionately, though, but I will say this is a zero, and I don't want this to be a zero because I believe in this gimmick. I believe in these two guys, but the, they just jumped the shark. They went a little bit too far. It was a little bit too goofy. It didn't make a lot of sense overall. I'm not going to give you that argument that I don't want to see Tyler Breeze in a dress anymore because he's too good for it. That argument's true, and I can give you that argument every week, and I'm prepared to give you that argument every week, but I won't. My overall problem is I get it. I get my problem. This is not geared toward me. I'm not the audience for this. They are playing the golden truth comedic role like you mentioned. This is no different than than anyone else through the years who who's been forced to put on a dress or just play the fall, you know, play the fool because they have to get the kids popping. I just know that there's more potential out of these two guys, specifically Tyler Breeze. So I wish it was playing to me where you can still be funny, can still be wink wink, but you don't put Tyler Breeze in a dress for absolutely no reason. And that's where we were once again. It showed me that they don't care about it. So I think now I'm finally at the point where I don't care. It's but, a zero. Like who like do you think like you think Tyler Breeze is Shawn Michaels or something? Like the guy is not that good. Like I'm not saying he's bad. Like I think he's good and merits the spot that he's in right now. The guy is not a main eventer. Like I I don't I like I don't get the Tyler Breeze love, and I think more people agree with you, Brian, because I get I've got tweets about that that people like Breeze more than Fandango. I like Fandango more. I don't see the Absolutely. ceiling here with Tyler Breeze. You know, if you watch him in NXT, it's there. I've I've always said his biggest problem is he's a Michaels clone. There's no question, and I get it. You don't want to have Michaels still lingering and then have Dolph Ziggler, who still is a Michaels clone, and then have your second Michaels clone. I know there's a little bit of Rick Martel mixed in, too, with the model. I just think that when he came up, they initially gave him a push on the IC level. It wasn't failing, right? It kind of, it kind of was starting to work, and then the plug just got pulled. You just don't need to put him in a dress. There's a middle ground there, but once again... They're not trying to get me to pop for that. Now that I realize it, I can move on and not care about it. But they had me, all right? Just like they had me with Heath Slater for, for a season. They had me. They've decided to lose me, and that's fine. Fandango is definitely the star of this thing. But, Nick, I know you like them and you like the vignettes. Adam the, the vignettes. threw that in. I like no, it. No, yeah. he is because it's true. But do you like the dress up in the ring? Because that's where it loses me. The vignettes are fine. The oh, gimmick and the water is gun, fine. Adam. The water gun well, is where it should lose you. Actually, the wa- I actually don't mind that. I mind like Tyler Breeze making a fashion change. Nick, does that bother you? Or are you okay with that too? They're a comedy tag team. I think it is what it is. That's what you're going to get from them. And I think for the most part, the audience is responding to it. So I think you'll continue to see it. Bri, one thing that I will absolutely have to agree uh, with you on, um, I have no desire to see Tyler Breeze or any other man for that matter in a dress. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Silver King, next up here. Well, it, well, if the gimmick makes sense, if it's Adrian Adonis trying to do an exotic Adrian Street gimmick, then that's fine. But in this, pay, this case, it doesn't make sense. All right, you sold me on that. Last up here on Hero Zero, John Cena in a tweet during SmackDown last night 
casually announced that he's returning back to SmackDown Live on July 4th because what other date would it be? Brian Campbell, hero or zero. Right, and he tweeted out, like, right after Memorial Day. Like, why not, right? I mean, it's a... I can't give it a zero because having Cena back is great for business and actually having him leave is great for business because it makes you care about him more than you would. You no longer get that tired feeling that you got with Cena the last few years. So in reality, it's a hero, but is it a cheesy hero in the timing? Yes, it is. I am excited, though, about now starting to fantasy book this summer and say, well, wait, I kind of forgot. What brand is he on again? And number two... Who are we going to have him feud with heading into to SummerSlam? Because last time I checked, guys, that build-up to WrestleMania was hot fire, and we still really cared about John Cena. BC, this is a nuanced answer for me. Um, it's a hero because Cena's coming back for all the reasons that you just said. And it gets me fired up, too. It also speaks to the bigger issue, which is SmackDown's the better show, and SmackDown's going to get John Cena back at some point here. So SmackDown will continue to be better than Raw. It's a zero for me because I would put the chances of me watching SmackDown on the 4th of July at zero. I mean, there's literally a zero. I will be probably too drunk at that point on the 4th of July to watch SmackDown. So bring Cena back on a holiday for me, you kind of lose me there here. You don't want to bring him back on a holiday when, when people might not be watching you. Bring him back when you know you're going to have maximum viewership. So that's BC, the one area where I will give it a zero here. What do you think about that here, him coming back on a holiday? I mean, it's it's how you get people to watch a holiday. So and not to play the not right. to toe the company line, but it's actually really a smart move. All right, guys. You know, I didn't think Nick was going to get wins in this Hero or Zero segment, but this guy absolutely crushed you, Brian. Wow. On the, on crush. The, on the, I don't know about a crush. Well, but. you didn't let me finish on the this is your life number one topic. The rest was kind of even, but this is Nick's. First win in Hero Zero. All right, 50-50 booking. I can, I can understand Does this it. mean that the Silver King will be fired here as your, as your primary editor here, BC? <laughs> no doubt about that. Let's, let's get it going. All right, we will now slide into DMs. BC, tell the people how they can slide into your DMs. Hey, look, hit me up at B Campbell CBS. The questions have been coming in. We want more. We want better. Hey, you got a problem with D Mitty or anybody else on this show? Shout it out. Let's hear some opinion. Let's hear some good questions at B Campbell CBS or hit all of us up on Twitter with that hashtag in this corner. Coming in first is D Mitty 78. He's retracting his cheers for Nick after he stabbed him in the back last week and threw him into the Geritron 3000. God, I, don't want, I don't want your cheers anyway, D-Mitty. You can take your cheers and shove them where the, shun, where the sun don't shine. He thought there was a good vibe going on here, but he has a new question this week. He wants to know if WWE has intentionally, if, if they had Randy Orton put out those quote-unquote dive tweets in order to gain heat from the internet wrestling community and help get Jinder Mahal's win at Backlash over. If you think about it, it actually makes sense and we know they like to troll the IWC. Nick, what do you think about that from D-Mitty? It's obviously stupid. I mean, D-Mitty here, like, I-, I think you're better than this, buddy. Like, you're actually sitting around and you're, this is the question that you come up with here, bud. It's a horrendous question. WWE doesn't care about the internet wrestling community. You know why? Because the internet wrestling community is going to watch no matter what. Like, the people that complain the most are the people that spend the most money on merchandise and are going to be at the stadiums every single week to watch the WWE products. Of course WWE didn't have them do it intentionally. They don't care about about the IWC because the IWC is always going to be there no matter how much the IWC complains. 
Look, I gotta, I gotta jump in and just, and just dispute that and back my guy Mitty, who really is the, the, you know, the underdog star of this show, for, at least from the people, and we're a show for the people by the people. I gotta agree with him. I actually think they did this because when Randy dropped those tweets, they kind of felt like they didn't make sense. Like they kind of came out of nowhere. Like we know Randy's got a little bit of an attitude. He's not afraid to run his mouth on, on, on Twitter and tell it like it is. But this kind of felt a little too perfect. So when I read this conspiracy theory from Mitty. I go, you know what? That kind of does make sense because you needed a situation. They are towing the line like we talked about with Jinder where they're trying to appeal to him as a baby face to a certain crowd but put him over as a heel of the Americans. And to do that, you couldn't have people going out of their way loving Randy Orton here. Maybe the choice of Randy Orton, who's not always the most beloved anyway, was part of why they made this choice to put over to put over Jinder in the first place with Randy. It kind of all makes sense to me. I'm not going to go all the way with it and say it's true, but I believe it. I, w- I really would. Man, the conspiracy theories this week. All right, guys, number two coming in from Adam Crawley. Great first name, my friend. He wants to know, shouldn't those Goldust and R-Truth promos on Raw have been setting up a Hollywood backlot brawl for Extreme Rules? Makes sense to me. What about you, BC? You know, I think I think it should. It should be set, setting up to something, you know, and we know we have that Raw exclusive pay-per-view this weekend. I, it doesn't really make sense why they would set up such a, a move that I pop for, which is a tag team partner turning on another and not really have a plan in place to consummate it. We've just been getting these promos. We had another set this week that kind of looked like movie trailers. It kind of disappoints me because, yes, we love Goldust and his history with the backlot bra. This would have made a lot of sense. This is a goofy tag team. It would make sense to have a blow-off in a goofy physical match. It negatively reminds me, though, of early 2015 in that payback pay-per-view when they properly set up Goldust and his brother Stardust, Cody Rhodes, breaking apart. And they had the angle where they involved Dusty Rhodes and all the nostalgic people like me were popping for it. And it should have been a WrestleMania match. And they put it on as like the second match on 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 uh, fast lane in February of 2015 and nobody cared about it. They used dusty, but they didn't really commit about it to it. And then it was over. I'm starting to get that feeling again. Like, is this going to be a wasted big turn altogether? Yeah, it should be a backlot. Let's do it. Uh, I think that would be pretty cool. And I'll just say my, my one note on this and you BC, you, you nailed it with what you just said. Goldust promo was excellent. Our truth's promo was not good. And that's where it really struck me as kind of missing missing the note that they were trying to hit here because Goldust came out there and he's obviously, he's so comfortable in that character and in that role that he's been playing for 20-some-odd years now. I really like the work that he's been doing. I didn't like that they tried to do something similar with R-Truth with him in, in the movie director's chair, so it sort of fell flat to me here. Maybe a backlot brawl would be the right idea. I think it would be kind of cool. Extreme Rules maybe needs another match, so, you know, I don't know that I'd necessarily be down on that, but I'd like to see some better some better work here, BC, from R-Truth on the mic as this feud uh, continues here. No doubt. And one more thing before we pass it on. Before we get completely away from Orton and Jinder and probably never hit it again, I did want to say, and I wanted a quick retraction from you guys on this, this was the best Jinder and Orton interchange on screen that I think we've seen in the buildup to this. We just see Randy Orton come out and actually give a promo that made you care about the actual storyline here, referencing the third, second and third generation in his family and how embarrassing it was for him and them to see him lose to somebody on the level of gender. And then to have gender just interrupt and really come over as strong. I popped for that. I thought it was the best representation. It was going in the right direction again. Uh, I didn't like it. Um, and I'll tell you why. I liked gender's part. 
I didn't like Orton's part because Orton basically goes out there and goes, I'm from, you know, the generation where people didn't talk. They just went out there and did it. Randy Orton has played the, some of the most dastardly heels that we've seen here in the past 15 years watching wrestling, and he's basically talking about, oh, I, I'm not the one that goes out there and talks. I'm, I'm going to go out there and do it. Like, dude, like, we have watched you. Like, you have been a really bad guy at, at times here in his WWE career. So that sort of fell flat for me. Uh, I liked Jinder's part, though, quite a bit there, and I like the continued involvement of the uh, the Singh brothers, the Bollywood boys. So uh, I didn't like Orton, but BC, I did like Jinder coming up uh, this past week on SmackDown. Guys, coming in from Frank Keith Camel at Frankie Camelot, he wants to know if WWE had a chance to do the Cruiserweight Classic all over, do you think they still would have given TJP the first championship win? If not, who do you think would have gone over? Nick, what do you think about that? Um, I think they'd probably still go with TJP here because I, I like what they what they did with Neville. Um, I don't necessarily like the overall over arc of the show, and I've said that many times of 205 Live. I think there are many ways to potentially improve it. I think that TJP should have been kept a face. I, I don't like him as a heel. He looks like a good guy. His music is good guy music, the Mega Man video game music. That's more of my problem with this. I had no issue with them putting TJP over at the time, BC, and I don't have any issue with it after the fact. I think they found pretty quickly that putting over TJP and committing to him as a baby didn't work and it wasn't going to work. So, yeah, in hindsight, I think they should have done it differently and would have. I give them credit because unlike you, Nick, I think he's actually working as a heel. And I think overall it's really working in, in exposing how good he is in the ring and, and that his character has a little bit more depth on the heel side than it did beginning. But the one name I would have put in that place is Cedric Alexander. And he just came back from injury. I think long term. He's the most cruiserweight of all the cruiserweights in terms of his size and his style working so well in that framework of 205 Live and the CWC tournament to begin with. I think that's the guy long-term is going to give Neville his actual best matches. I know Aries can do a lot of really good things well, specifically on the mic, but Cedric Alexander will give Neville the best work in the long run. So I think if you can go back, you really push Cedric in that spot. Fantastic DM questions this week from the listeners. We do have a pay-per-view preview we're going to get to this week. Normally, we do a little bit more with the DMs because we have a question that we've been sitting on here for a couple weeks about Mount Rushmore of WWE, which we will get to, but we want to devote the proper amount of time to that topic when we do it. That came courtesy of at Bro Ledwell. Bro Ledwell, we know you sent that in last week. We ran out of time last week. We want to get to the Extreme Rules preview this week. Without a pay-per-view to preview the next couple weeks, we will get to your question and we're excited to talk about that, but again, it needs the proper time to marinate and develop. And remember, send all your questions in at BCAM CBS. We will work them into the show. You can also hit up the Silver King at Silverstein Adam and yours truly at the Costos T-H-E-K-O-S-T-O-S. Now, as I said, BC, we do have Extreme Rules coming up this Sunday. Let's have a quick roll-through of the card here. Some matches we care about, some we don't care about, and that will be reflected in the amount of time that we spend on them. Let's start off with the mixed tag team match. Brian, Sasha Banks, and Rich Swan, Alicia Fox, and Noam Dar. Your take on this one. Uh, everything we said about this overachieving brings true. But but for all that said of how good that Banks and Swan are working together and how much I've actually kind of cared about this Sasha Banks-Alicia Fox feud, like, they've made me care a little bit. Congratulations to them. They haven't made me care, though, about this as a mixed tag team match. I don't know who's going over. I'm not going to be moved either way. I pass it along. Do we agree, though, Brian? Because I, I kind of do care who goes over here. I think that the match has to end with Sasha Banks pinning Alicia Fox or the entire thing is a total waste of time. 
You agree? Well, it disagree? depends on their end game. I don't think they would end it in a mixed tag team match. So it seems to me that we have another chapter of their specific single rivalry to go. So that's why this just feels like a, hey, let's move the chains. Yeah, I, I agree. I just think that if you look at these four, Sasha's the biggest star. So she should go over. But if they're going to continue this and they're going to keep her on 205 Live, as you intimated before, then I guess it makes sense to continue it. And we're going to move on because, quite frankly, who really cares? Now on to the Cruiserweight Championship match. I'm actually pretty excited for this one. A submission affair, Neville defending Brian, his championship against AA, Austin Aries. Very underrated buildup. I mean, obviously, this is a feud that has been going on before WrestleMania, but just the specific build to this pay-per-view, we didn't talk enough about it on this podcast, but every week it's delivered, whether on Raw or 205 Live. Yeah, they've been kind of giving us the same structure and format in terms of a tired setup, but the payoffs have always been good. And this past week, Neville, for I'm sorry, Aries forcing Neville to tap with that last chancery. It's a submission match this Sunday. Makes a lot of sense. I still want Neville with the belt, though, in terms of the long-term business. So Aries has given him as great of a fight as he could. Neville has cheated twice along the way to get victories, both at WrestleMania and the immediate pay-per-view after that. I'd still like Neville to beat him cleanly once and for all. TJP can help. That's fine. I like Neville going over. Is it A-double or double-A with Austin Aries, by the way? A-double. You can't infringe on Arn Anderson. I know. I was just going to say, because like, I wanted to call him double-A because that's Arn Anderson, obviously. That's got to be a bad draw for Austin Aries. Like, you've got the potential double-A, but Arn Anderson's already taken it, and he's got it now for the history of wrestling here. My one criticism here, and Bri, I'm with you, bud. Neville's got to go over because he's white-hot, as much as white-hot as you can be, being the, the Cruiserweight champion here on 205 Live. They kind of have blown it with Austin Aries, right? Because Aries is such a good performer. And at this point, he's probably going to lose again to Neville. What do you do with Austin Aries from this point here? I think that's my only point of contention here is that have they spit the bit here with a double Austin Aries? I do Silver King's plan. Let me throw it over to him. I bump him up to the main roster because he's got the TNA experience and he's that good on the microphone. We're not crazy here, right, Silver King? My thing is, it's not just Neville. If not Aries then who's going to beat Neville on this cruiserweight roster? Like, who else could actually beat him for the title and make you interested in seeing a match continue between them? So you either have to move Neville up or you have to give Aries the win and have them continue fighting. I mean, maybe you add Callisto to the division at some point and get some fresh blood in there, but I don't know what they're doing if this doesn't result in a new champion. Cedric's the savior. You know this long-term, Adam. Come on. Well, I think what they have to do then... Like, because there's no one here capable of beating Neville if it's not going to be Austin Aries. So they need to spend some time building up that next challenger because it's not going to be TJP. It's not Gentleman Jack Gallagher. Get him off my TV screen. Hey, Tozawa's making moves, guys. Tozawa is making moves. Maybe he's the one, Brian. I think you're right about that in the fantastic street fight we detailed last week on In This Corner with the Brian Kendrick. Now to the Tag Team Championship. It's a steel cage match. Jeff and Matt, the Hardy Boys, defending BC against Sheamus and Cesaro. Look, it's not that there's been bad work done in this build, and they've really put some effort into it going back. You know, originally with the sportsmanship angle from from uh, Cesaro and Sheamus that eventually blew up in the Hardy's face. I'm just not that interested in it. I mean, uh, am I crazy, Silver King? I just I don't have the feels that I am invested much to actually care who wins this, even though it's been mildly entertaining to watch. I don't know. I'm fully bought into Sheamus and Cesaro. Like, it took me a little bit to really think they were going to work as a tag team, but I'm in, like... I like them. I like their entrance. I like the way they work together in the ring. They obviously use their own individual finishers. My issue with this match as a whole is they have never, since the Hardy Boys have come back, 
they haven't allowed them to build his characters. Now, I don't know if it's because they're waiting for stuff with Anthem to settle. 100%. And they're and their gimmicks, so they're just not doing anything with them. But they've really given us, outside of nostalgia, no reason whatsoever to like the Hardy Boys. So, for me, I actually want Sheamus and Cesaro to win this match. And which that would be su- a surprise, too, because it's obviously a steel cage match. The Hardy Boys picked it, and they're going to jump off the top of that cage, and I'm going to be really excited for it. So... This match, I think it's going to surprise us and be one of the standout matches on the card. I think the only way this match disappoints me as a viewer is if the Hardy Boys win. Because I want to see the Hardy Boys break up. I want to see Broken Matt Hardy. I want to see Jeff as a singles competitor. That's the ceiling for both of these guys. And I love, Brian, the work that Sheamus and Cesaro have done. I love their entrance, by the way. Like, the way that they've refined it as it's, as it's gone along. Now with the blue light bathing both of them here as the camera pans around, the 360 of both of them as they stand back-to-back with each other, they are great workers. I'm in on Sheamus and Cesaro. I want to see the two of them go over in this match. I'm with the Silver King. Give me a title change, right, Yeah, you kind of won me back over in, in sort of reminding me how far Sheamus and Cesaro, Cesaro has come. I mean, they came out of that best of seven series that we all crapped on. Okay, so it has overachieved. I got to agree on sort of the Hardys not getting the Hardy push. And I think we all got to be convinced now, guys, it's not going to happen. We're not going to see it broken. I think there's been some news, if you've been following it, about emails that came out that the Anthem people exposed that WWE was on the email saying they ha- they really have no interest in going down the legal route. I think Vince is fine giving you WWE Matt Hardy. But as we talked about, if you give us WWE Matt and Jeff Hardy, you're really giving us the Dudley boys from last year. Maybe put it on Sheamus and Cesaro. They've worked hard enough. Again, you haven't made me care enough. Hopefully, this will be the match that does. And again, worth noting for the second week in a row, remember when the Hardys first came back and they would show the pictures of them like like leading up to match promotions? And it was the picture of broken Matt Hardy with like that crazy look on his face. They're back to using the stock photo of Matt Hardy without the crazy look on his face in BC. I think that's to your point. Next up, it's the Intercontinental Championship. No championship advantage in this one. Ambrose loses on disqualification. BC, as he defends against The Miz. Yeah, I think, you know, they, they've. it was a bad idea to carry this over from SmackDown and bring it on Raw after the Superstar shakeup because it's not new and you want something new. We've established that. Both guys have performed fairly well in the build-up to this. Some of the writing in the build has been good. I just, again, I don't, I don't want to be that guy this week, but maybe I just am. I don't really want this to keep going. I want it to end, and I want the belt on Miz. And the main reason is... You can get lost on Raw, guys. Top superstars have have proven that in the past year since this new brand extension. It's a three-hour show. They have a lot of business to squeeze in. What made SmackDown so good was that everyone that had airtime got time to get themselves over and work and expand and be a part of things that matter. The Miz proved that. He took the ball and ran with it. It was a major part of his 2016 rejuvenation, not just having Maurice by his side, but being on SmackDown and getting that airtime. He's not getting that same level of airtime on Raw. I think if you give him the belt, it will increase that. Give him the belt and end this feud and let's move forward. Nothing against Dean. He's performed fine, but I don't know if I want to keep going down this road. I agree that Miz needs the belt, and that's the whole point of why I'm happy that they continue this rivalry coming over from SmackDown onto Raw. So I'm thrilled with the match. I even like the stipulation because it really fits the Miz's character. Like, he's a swarmy kind of underhanded guy, uh, obviously a heel, and if he's going to win the title from Ambrose and you don't want to hurt Ambrose that much, okay, you do a no champion advantage, and maybe just Maurice smacks him like two minutes into the match, he wins the title and it's over so I like that but this match speaks to a larger problem I have with Extreme Rules as a whole I realize WWE is PG now but this is stipulation rules not Extreme Rules these matches are not Extreme and I know we're not going to get these crazy crazy Extreme matches but the last two years in this pay-per-view we've had an Asylum match Last Man Standing 
Russian Chain, Chicago Street Fight, the Hollywood Backlot Brawl was mentioned by that reader, Adam, you know, a little while ago, the listener. So there's not extreme matches on this card. Yeah, they have the main event. Kendo Stick on a Pole isn't extreme. We'll get to that in a minute. So that's the bigger problem is I want extreme matches, and this isn't one, and neither is the mixed tag at all. I don't like Dean Ambrose really as a performer, as a main eventer. I think he's fine in this role. He does not do it for me. He does not activate my feel spot. Miz does a little bit, but I think he has his limitations as well. I'll be honest, don't care about this match. Don't care who goes over, so let's just move on here. Now, we detailed the absolutely brutal This Is Your Life segment earlier, and that's setting up the kendo stick on a pole match. Brian, Alexa Bliss defending the women's championship against Bailey. I don't think we give enough crap to the fact that this is a kendo stick on a pole, it's which horrendous. is such a ridiculous title. Like if Vince ridiculous... Russo booked this, like, what the hell is this? Like, it's so Vince Russo that I want to cringe, and I love Vince Russo, but it's that cringeworthy side of him. Obviously, Bliss has really, you know, overproduced, carried this, even covered up the parts that Bailey's just not living up to her main event billing, which you touched on, Nick, and it's been so true. If they put the belt back on ba- Bailey, I will be upset. And they are giving me the belief that they are when you build, when you let Bailey be on the bottom end of every single week situation, back to back kendo sticks to the back, never getting comeuppance. When she does make a save, it's not a real save, and Bliss gets away. They're setting up the babyface to have her payback moment, and I'm probably going to cringe when they give her the belt. And it's not that I'm anti Bailey; it's just look, it's not working. So. I don't know if you have to repackage her or just let her be a fan favorite singles player for a while, but her with the belt is not the business I want to be a part of. If Bliss goes, I'm going to pop. If she goes out without that belt, I'm going to cringe. That's my bottom line. Touching on what you just said, I'm actually hopeful because this is an opportunity to reset Bailey's character. She was best in NXT as an underdog who could never win. She lost all the major matches, and then suddenly she started believing in herself, and the crowd got behind her, and whatever. We already know, you guys mentioned it earlier, that they ruined Bailey on the main roster. They gave her the title way too early. They could have given her the WrestleMania moment and w- of winning it there rather than you know retaining it there. So I think this is an opportunity to refresh her, have her just get absolutely annihilated by Alexa Bliss. She becomes an underdog again, and has to fight her way back. If that happens, then I like the match. The stipulation's terrible. I already know that. Nick, what about you? I'm going to take this in a a bit of a different direction here. And BC, I know you're a big 90s hip-hop fan. Yo, I think my favorite song is from 90s hip-hop, Scenario, A Tribe Called Quest. And I'm going to go, here we go, yo. Here's the scenario I'm going to give you for this to be really good. You like that? Was that a decent 90s hip-hop reference? Yeah, it was right right in the middle of my field spot. I I couldn't even respond. love, Love Tribe Called Quest. This match needs one thing to be good, and one thing only. Blood. We need blood in this match. I don't care who bleeds. I'd like to see both of them busted open in this match. This had damn well better be a super physical match that brings the house down where where both competitors walk away over no matter who wins. So if they get in there and they're beating the hell out of each other with the kendo stick and the crowd gets behind it, it's not going to matter if Alexa Bliss wins and it's not going to matter if Bailey wins because both of them will walk out over as a result of it do I think that's going to happen? No. I think they're well, going to yeah, screw it up. You're not going to get blood, but there is a middle ground. You don't think there's any way? If they give you the marks on the back, if they both wear, let's say, uh, outfits that reveal the back and they're willing to take those Tommy Dreamer type sticks, you know, kendo sticks to the back where you can see the marks during the match, you'll respect them a lot more. 
The thing is, are they going to cash in on their teases that Bailey's not extreme, which has been the storyline built? And I'm not saying it has to be a straight heel turn because I just don't think they'll do that with her. But can they tease the heel turn by having her win by extremely brutally using the the uh, the kendo stick, but then kind of feeling bad about it? But then they don't resolve it, and then the next few weeks we're like, is Bailey having problems mentally? Is she mad? Is she going to snap? Is she going to snap on her best friend Sasha? If they extend it that way, that's fine. I just, oh, what are they going to do? Adam, what are they going to do? I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, I, I'm with Nick on if they're going to put blood in this match and let them show some color, then we're talking about, like, continuing advancing the women's division like they have, you know, with the Money in the, uh, Money in the Bank match, the Hell in the Cell match with Charlotte, by maybe the way. Maybe a Royal Rumble yeah, next year with may, the women. Yeah, maybe, like, a 15-person Royal Rumble. So I like that, like, giving them the, that opportunity to, like, advance the storyline with blood. I just don't think it's going to happen, and probably I think, not. I think they're too careful with Bailey, especially, and t- and probably too careful with Bliss. I don't know. I'm not enthused about the match, but if, they, like I said earlier, if they use it to refresh Bailey, it'll all be worth it. In the and, end. and I will say that if Bailey does go over BC in the fashion that that you sort of said that you think, like if she's really brutal with the kendo stick, I will disagree. I think that'll get her face heat, not heel heat, because I think that's what people want to see coming up from Bailey. So maybe they'll end up delivering in this match. But I know one match that we are expecting to deliver, and if this pay-per-view is going to be worth a damn, absolutely has to deliver. The main event, the number one contender, Fatal Five-Way, Roman Reigns, Finn Balor, Seth Rollins, Bray Wyatt, Samoa Joe, BC, go. Yeah, look, this is Raw's Money in the Bank match. I mean, it's that simple. I don't like that Money in the Bank on both sides. Obviously, SmackDown exclusive. We talked about that already. This is the Money in the Bank, but the prize is the match with Brock Lesnar. They're going to go Bray. Uh, sorry, they're going to go Finn Balor, and that's where they should go. They've invested so much in him. Finn Balor versus Brock Lesnar this summer is a one heck of a money feud. All the signs are telling you they will. But now with Braun Strowman injured, The one guy I still, I know, Nick, this is going to light you up. I still want to see them swerve me is with Bray Wyatt. And it's because if you're going to repair Bray Wyatt's problem right now, the best way to repair it is do something dramatically. And there would be nothing more dramatically than having him go over these guys in this and then actually win the belt clean from Lesnar. You can use your spiritual voodoo to get there. That's fine. But actually win the belt clean from Lesnar when they finally meet. That's how you repair Bray Wyatt. They will show me on Sunday night whether they actually care about him long term as a crossover transcendent figure or if he's just another guy for them in a pack of very good but not great and transcendent wrestlers. That'll show me because they're probably going to go Finn and when they do that it'll show you. But there is room there, Nick, to fix the Bray situation. I I love this that like this is going to be the tipping point for you with Bray Wyatt like it wasn't at <laughs> Wrestlemania 30 when he should have gone over John Cena and lost to Cena it wasn't at Wrestlemania this year when we all expected him to go over Randy Orton and Orton went over like they don't care about Bray Wyatt like they've already shown you that like like this is like Stockholm Syndrome BC like you keep coming back and thinking oh this is going to be the time that hey Bray WWE over. fandom is Stockholm Syndrome it kind okay, of is you know, it, 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 it kind of is to a degree here and can I make a quick aside here as it regards Bray Wyatt you know what I thought was really dumb Samoa so Joe is giving his backstage promo on Raw this past week, Brian, and Bray Wyatt appears on the monitor and starts talking and everything goes dark. Like, like I know that you like to put, like, the supernatural elements in there sometimes, Vince and Triple H, whoever the hell else is booking this garbage. Like, come on. Like, it's so stupid, and he doesn't make any sense. Like, I think the whole Bray Wyatt thing in this current character is, has run its course. I do think it'll be Finn Balor. I don't think that Brock will put Finn Balor over if and when that is the match. I think Brock's going to keep the belt through WrestleMania, and they'll build to the Reigns-Lesnar match here. I do, Brian, though, think that this match has the potential, and I'll go so far to say I will be 
very disappointed if this match does not deliver in the main event coming up. Yeah, it should because the right five guys are in it. And that's really the most important thing is you're, you're putting a main event match and you're not throwing in a piece of garbage here. You know, these are the right five guys. I agree, obviously, with you two. I think Finn is going to be the one who ends up winning the whole thing. Um, but I also do agree with Brian, too. I circled Bray Wyatt. You can look at my paper right here. He's the only other guy I think could legitimately win this match. Samoa Joe, Brock Lesnar, not, there's nothing there. Roman Reigns, it's too early. And Seth Rollins, you have the built-in feud with Joe, and you also just don't want Rollins to lose at Great Balls of Fire. You have to remember, this match is not a SummerSlam match. That SummerSlam number one contendership is still out there. We got months for that to happen. So this is for Great Balls of Fire. It needs to be someone that Lesnar can go over in a great match that's not going to break the bank for future feuds and storylines. And I don't think there's a long-term Brock Lesnar-Finn Balor storyline, and there's certainly not one with Bray Wyatt. So it is going to be one of those two. I'm hoping that they give us a swerve because they were really obvious having Heyman come out and talk to Balor head-to-head on Raw two weeks ago. So I'm hoping they didn't just throw all their cards on the table right there. I hope it is Bray Wyatt for that you know, little tweak. But if either of those guys win, I'm going to be happy. BC, final word on the pay-per-view to you here. And this is how much we love you, dear listener. We're going to have a post-pay-per-view show coming up for you Sunday night, our instant reaction to Extreme Rules. So be on the lookout for that on Monday morning. I think that this is going to end up being a better show than we expect. What does your gut tell you on what sort of show that we'll end up seeing on Sunday? I think just the fact that there's only six bouts on this card tells you it's going to be a great one. They're not littering it with with too many you don't care about, like even the last SmackDown pay-per-view we just saw, Backlash, which had that bottom half that you knew wasn't going to deliver. They're sticking with six, which tells you they are going to have a long main event match, which they should. I said this is Raw's version of the Money in the Bank. It's going to present like that. Nick, your point was true. If this is not... Four and a quarter to four and a half stars. Hit they, they should look at themselves because this is a heavy star power. If they've done one thing well, it, it's it's get you to care about all five of these guys. Even though I, you know, I, I don't. I like thought they announced it too early. They still have you caring about the stories of all five of them. Man, let's deliver here. Let's. It's old school. It's a six-fight card. Let's deliver. And I would love to, at the conclusion of Extreme Rules, be excited about the. Monday Night Raw coming up the night after. I think that would hit all of us in the feel spot, and as always, that's how we will close the program. BC, what tickled your fancy this week? What penetrated the old feel spot and got you feeling all sorts of good this week in professional wrestling? Look, this might be a surprise, but the true wrestling fan in me, you can't control how he pops. And he popped at NXT last week when the Velveteen Dream made his debut after a long stretch of vignettes. It's Patrick Clark. He was on the most recent Tough Enough season, had a little bit of an NXT run. The interesting thing is if you look at that tough enough roster, he's the lone survivor. Everybody else has either been caught or they quit. Both the male and female winner are gone. I think the female winner, Sarah Lee, uh, got knocked up by one of the Blake and Murphy guys, whoever's not engaged to Alexa Bliss, the other guy. No one from that that team is going anywhere, and I think we're not even allowed to talk about that show since Hulk Hogan was one of the panelists. <laughs> Patrick Clark is a real underrated athlete. Guys, WrestleMania, we were there this year in Orlando. We got the tour of the, of the performance studio. NXT wrestlers were doing routines. I was at the ring where they had the real soft mat, and you just watch moonsault after moonsault, and I took notice of what Patrick Clark was doing, and he was nailing one incredible flip, Phoenix splash, whatever, after another. 
This popped me because it's so cheesy it works. It's not just like a Prince gimmick. It's like a Charlie Murphy doing Prince on the Chappelle show type of gimmick. But it needs, like any true gimmick, it needs to be underlined by something physical that backs it up. And if you watch Patrick Clark work, he kind of looks like a Ricky Steamboat. There's a lot of the same mannerisms, only he's bigger, stronger, and I think he's more athletic. He didn't show you that he has the potential to talk on Tough Enough, but in this gimmick, he may not need to talk. I think there's some surprise future for this guy, and I popped for the cheesiness of the gimmick and how it felt like Prince and felt like the 80s. I'm down with this completely. And that analysis right there, why Brian Campbell, the best in the business. Silver King, your feel spot this week. You know, I'm really loving what they're doing with Aleister Black. He is just getting the opportunity to shine on a week-to-week basis. We haven't heard him on the mic yet, and maybe that's something they're working on, and there's a good reason for it. But right now, we are seeing this guy just dominate opponents. He's dominating good opponents, bad opponents. Uh, His black mask finisher, that just square kick to the jaw, is fantastic. I don't know that they could be doing a better job with him right now. It's hitting me in the field spot. Actually, him and the Drifter 2 on Raw in a little bit because they're building him strong as well. They're not giving him a lot of garbage. It's only been two matches for the Drifter, but he's actually doing well. But Aleister Black, for me, I'm really excited to see where he goes, and I'm thinking he might get called up to the main roster a lot quicker than people think. A quick note here on uh, Elias Sampson, the Drifter. BC, you crushed me on that debate last week, and as I was watching this week, I was thinking about you, buddy, because I actually thought it was pretty good, and he got some it heat at the end of playing the playing the song, and the match was not bad. Obviously, he just went over a jabroni with his uh, swinging neckbreaker finish, so I actually did like that. Now, as we were doing the show, it got me thinking about something here for my feel spot. I was going to go with the uh, with the women, as I referenced at the beginning, the SmackDown angle. I watched Table for Three on the WWE Network at the conclusion of Raw on Monday, and it was Michael Hayes, Jim Cornette, and Eric Bischoff, and I'm a somewhat of a wrestling historian. I've been watching my entire life. I thought it was really awesome. I thought it was actually better than Monday Night Raw. These guys talking about sort of the philosophy behind who goes over and where, how they would fantasy book both this pay-per-view coming up and WrestleMania. There was a lot of good stuff in there to hear from real great wrestling minds, sort of how they view the business and how they conduct business. I thought was really fascinating. It is well worth your time. Table for three on the WWE Network. That hit the feel spot for this wrestling fan. As always, this is In This Corner with Brian Campbell. This has been the WWE edition. BC, you had an awesome UFC show earlier this week. You were joined by announcer Todd Grisham. He was also one time in WWE. So you've got the UFC covered. BC covers all things boxing on In This Corner with Brian Campbell. And, of course, as we just did, all things professional wrestling. So for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, I am Nick Costos. Brian Campbell, two words to take us out of this edition of In This Corner. We out.